to a solar panel on the thatched roof of his herder's hut, Caleb could join us today from remote Lesotho in the south of Africa. It's going on seven years now since he and his teammates first piled into that four-wheel drive Land Rover Defender and pulled out of Johannesburg onto a narrow dirt and gravel road. They navigated boulders, potholes, harrowing hairpin curves, and forded a river with a washed out bridge. After a very long five hours of ascending and descending, they finally topped 9,000 feet. Their destination? A cold and lonely shepherd outpost. And it rained so much that very first night we were in these campsite cattle post huts that hadn't been used all winter long. The roofs weren't very good. And so we were getting wet all night long. Most of us didn't sleep. So the next day, all our stuff was already soaked. Our clothes, our blankets. So we like, <laughs> we evacuated <laughs> the very next day. We were there less than 24 hours. So that was our very, <laughs> that was our initial experience. It was pretty bad. So we, we went out the next day. We took one day to get supplies. Then we came back in the third day. So it was, it was an experience. <laughs> I'm Mary Lynn Kinberg, and welcome to Language on Purpose. Today, you'll hear Caleb Federhoff's extraordinary story of learning the Sisutu language in the country of Lesotho. Since Caleb joined us from that herder's hut, he had to load his internet with a data card, and it's a bit spotty. So please overlook the less than ideal audio. As you listen, ask yourself this question. What is it about Caleb that marks him as a good language learner? Okay, let's jump back into his story. Before heading up that treacherous road we just described, Caleb had learned a few basics in the language by first working in the city for a week with an untrained language helper his organization arranged for him. His plan? spend three weeks learning the language up on the mountain with the shepherds, and then one week back down working with a language helper in the city. The team leader had chosen ahead of time the village where they would locate. So we got there a little early in the season. The shepherds are semi-nomadic. And so we got there when there was only one shepherd living at our location. <laughs> And he helped us. He he helped us learn how to build the like the campsite structure that they live in. He he was the one who mainly taught us to suit to at the beginning. He had had more schooling than most shepherds have, so he could remember a lot of English words, some of the basic words like the an the names of animals in English, some basic commands. So he actually was really helpful in getting us further because he could tell us in English and in Sasutu, which was helpful because most shepherds don't know English beyond, hello, how are you? I'm fine. He was the only one there. Yeah, for the first two months, he was the only one there. Based on the weather, we thought summer should start in November. So we were like, let's go in November. But when they say summer here, they're not just thinking about the weather. They're also thinking about the crop cycles. So they wait until either the end of December or the beginning of January, when the planting's finished, then they come up, even though the weather's already changed. It was good, though, because then it was less overwhelming. Once January came, there were tons of shepherds, and 
we were like the center of attention in some ways. And I think it might have been a little overwhelming to just jump straight into that without first getting to know this other shepherd who knew a little bit of English and who could ease us into the culture a bit. So we knew, what is this? What are you doing? And we would just point, ask those questions. I would write down most of the words that he would say and then um, write the translation in English next to it in a little notebook. And then I would make flashcards out of them and carry them in my pocket. Um, there's lots of downtime in shepherd life because you're sitting in the pasture a lot. So, you know, I would have them in my pocket and I would, you know, get them out and run through my vocab list. If he didn't understand a word and could sort of make it out, Caleb could sometimes look it up in a really old English Sasutu dictionary published in the early 1900s. Caleb overall relied on the methodology spelled out in the book, Language Acquisition Made Practical, widely known as LAMP. It had been recommended in his initial field training in Kenya, but did it work for him? We were supposed to be using the, the LAMP method and some of us used it more dedicatedly than others on our team. I tried to stick with it pretty closely, I would say. I got most of my ideas from the LAMP book for like asking questions and what topics. And I found it really helpful. How did you have a language route? Because that's an essential part of the LAMP method. So there's one mm. shepherd in the village. Yeah, those first two months, there's one shepherd in our immediate location and then maybe two or three others within walking distance nearby. There was a family they weren't shepherds, which is unusual for our, that elevation. There's usually only shepherds who live there. So we would often go and talk to that family because the mother of the family was well-educated. We had a very limited language route, a very limited number of people to talk to, which wasn't helpful at first in the way LAMP is supposed to work. I would say the whole first year and a half was almost 100% just language learning and relationship building. And then the last six months, we had more opportunities for more like evangelistic type interactions. But, you know, even then our language wasn't great. You had to find a new place to live for the winter? Yes. Towards the end of the first summer, we started asking the shepherds in our cattle post, you know, where are you going? Because we knew they were going to be moving down to lower elevations. So we just asked them where. They would say a name of a place and we would have no idea where that was. And we recognized that a lot of the ones who we were friends with and who were um, very open towards us were all from this valley, Khatibe. And so we just decided, well, we need to find out where Khatibe is. Like if we're going to continue these relationships with these shepherds, we have to move with them. The one shepherd, he helped us find a place to stay. And in the village, it was easier to do more of the lamp activities, like the language walks, because there's just more people and more varieties of people. So did you live with a host family? We did. We rented from the chief, actually, of the village. I'm still living on their land. They take care of me. And so we, we had our own separate house, but we could eat with them in the evenings. We, not every evening. But 
whenever we felt like it. And they would come over and visit us. We would help out a lot with their flocks for many reasons, but one reason was to show gratitude for their hospitality. So I guess we were learning language and learning husbandry. Caleb told me a really funny herding story that I wanted you to hear. So we, we had been there at the cattle post campsite. It hadn't been that long. It had been enough weeks that the shepherd, Melifitani, uh, was trusting us. And he needed to go home for some reason to visit his family. And he was just going to be gone for a couple of days. And he left his flock of over 200 sheep and over 70 some goats. I forget the exact numbers with us. <laughs> and we were brand new to this. But I guess, I mean, we had been out with him every day. So I guess he saw something that we could at least <laughs> get this done. This shepherd likes to get up early and then have the sheep out in the pasture pretty early. Like, so we would wake up even before the sun rose and it was summertime. So that's, you know, five o'clock or so. And then the sheep would be out grazing by eight or so. And we noticed every day that the cattle post across the valley, there's no trees. So you can see up and down the valley and across really easily. And their sheep would just be in the fold until 10 in the morning, maybe sometimes even later. So when he left us on our own, we were like, hey, we don't need to get up super early. You know, I, when he's there, he's the boss. We'll, we'll get up early. It's fine. But let's have a couple days to sleep in because he's not here. <laughs> so the first morning we wake up, I, I don't know, probably seven. And I, my colleague actually woke up and he went outside. He jumps back in the hut and he says, <laughs> all the sheep and goats are gone. <laughs> so I fly out of bed and he goes down the valley and I go up the valley. And I was thinking, man, we just lost over 200 sheep and 70 goats and who knows where they are. <laughs> we found them. They, they hadn't gone very far. Once we went around the bend of the hill, we could see them down in the another part of the valley. But those few minutes of just, I don't know what the word would be. <laughs> shock and you know that family's entire savings was in their flocks and if if we really would have lost that many we i mean that would have been the end of our ministry really we would have had to leave <laughs> after those first two years caleb then took a six-month stint in the u.s when he returned to lesotho he moved to a different location to do focused language learning for another six months I came back and said hello to my former community and then told them I was going for six months somewhere else to study, to concentrate on Sisutu, and then I came back. Do you think that six months really pushed you a lot further? It was what you might call successful? Yes, definitely. And the reason was that's when one of the older missionaries had this grammar book, and Finally, I had in front of me like how the grammar works and how to conjugate, like things I had maybe kind of started to have access to just from my informal stuff. But finally, like all the exceptions are there and all the different minutiae of the rules. And that helped me. And I enjoyed that. I, I liked learning that. So I would take the grammar lessons out of this exercise book and then kind of adapt that into the LAMP method and use use my times with this Mosutu helper to 
reinforce what I was learning in the grammar book. And so I'd record him, you know, saying phrases that I got out of the grammar book or that I, you know, I would make up different phrases, but got the structure out of the grammar book. And that I found really helpful because I felt like I could finally grasp how the language worked. So I think I'm an analytic learner primarily, but I was forced to be more relational, which was probably good in many ways. As an undergrad at Moody Bible Institute, Kayla majored in music and also took advantage of some additional linguistics courses that were offered. But let me give you here just an idea of the kind of language he was up against. Sisutu is one of the Bantu languages spoken in Central, Southern, and Southeast Africa. First and foremost, it's an agglutinative language, which means it's loaded with an inordinate amount of prefixes and suffixes. I can certainly identify since in Peru, I learned Quechua, which is also an agglutinative language. In Sisutu, some of those prefixes indicate noun classes, around 19 of them, if you can believe it. Noun classes are somewhat like grammatical gender in European languages, but a whole lot less straightforward than, say, just masculine and feminine or maybe neuter. Sisutu also has complicated phonetics and a phonology that includes a number of tones. So given these characteristics, I asked Caleb if the linguistic fabric of Sisutu was his biggest language learning challenge. Since I'm learning one of these Southern African languages that has those uh, clicks, it took me forever. It was a big challenge just pronouncing the clicks correctly. The one click especially, they write it with a Q in their alphabet. It's it's easy to do isolated, but as soon as you have to insert it into a f- word, I couldn't do it. Like, I, I mean, I would have to like stop in the middle of the word, then do the click and then finish the word. <laughs> and everyone would laugh, <laughs> which is I, fine. I used to have to close my eyes. There weren't clicks, but they were the, the glottalized things. And yes. I, used to to, I started out always closing my eyes to make it work. <laughs> That's hilarious. No, but if it works... So like, for example, the word coca has two clicks. It starts with Q. So coca, they still say I have an accent, but that was hard because of the double click and especially the click in the middle in between two vowels was difficult. So probably the challenge I'm facing now is these dependent clauses in sentences. Like when you need to specify in more detail the subject of the sentence by describing it further? Yes, the man who was shoveling cow dung or something. Yes, the man who was shoveling cow dung went to the corral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that phrase was shoveling cow dung, since that's not the verb of the sentence, that was very difficult. I'm still trying to, to do that correctly. I think often I end up just saying almost like two full sentences the man shoveled cow dung, he went to the corral, which that's not ideal. <laughs> Caleb would also like to continue working on the complicated tone system that affects vowel quality and can make a difference in meaning. For example, tone can change a command into a question. And spelling does not necessarily reflect tone either, so not helpful. 
Caleb doesn't consider himself fluent in Sisutu and regrets that he hasn't prioritized language learning more since that six month focus at the beginning of his second term. However, he does feel like his vocabulary has grown significantly and still continues to grow. He consistently keeps lists of new words in his notebook and then tries to insert them into conversations in order to remember them. We also talked about the possibility and feasibility of him taking a couple of months off from ministry obligations now to just hire a language helper and concentrate on learning more Sisutu. Did you have a point, Caleb, where you just said, I'm just going to quit because of the language? So there were, <laughs> there were probably a number of times when I said, I'm just going to quit. <laughs> I think it was just everything, the culture, the food, the living situation, and the language all piled together. The missing home. I don't think I was necessarily just pointing at the language and saying, no, I can't continue. So how did you keep going? Those first six months, you know, culture shock was pretty strong. But having the other guys, we were all going through the same thing, basically. And ha having that week out in South Africa, I think that really helped in the long run, although at times it was also a challenge. There was a time early on in my second term where I, I, I was depressed, I think. And so... I was telling myself I was going to quit. And really the thing that helped me was a particular music album from a Christian singer-songwriter, Adria Saad. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she wrote this beautiful album called Fortunate Fall. And the whole center part of the album, the middle four or five tracks is like singing meditations on Psalm 23. I would just play those five tracks over and over and over again. And honestly, I, I credit Audrey Assad and her five Psalm 23 songs to uh, not allowing the stress and the, the darker thoughts to have control. Language was definitely mixed up in that stress, but I don't think it was necessarily the only stressor. Well, thank you for being open about that. Um... I wanted to mention before we wrap up here that at one point in the Zoom video recording, I saw a tall Masutu man come in unannounced. He went up to Caleb, broke into a huge smile, and then draped his arm around Caleb's shoulder. Oh, this is my friend, Litswaka. He's uh, staying with me. He helps me with the Bible studies because I still get into some trouble with Sisutu, so he helps me with Sisutu in English. Litwaka then declares Caleb to be his best friend. So there you have it. After stepping into Caleb's story, do you see what I see? A language learner inching forward with the tools he has, being open about his challenges, courageous in difficult circumstances, building strong relationships, persevering, laughing, isolating what's yet to be learned, making honest mistakes. In my opinion, it would serve you well to follow his example. Now, are you ready for Caleb's bloopers, plural? I just had to include both of them. 
And by the way, his stories are a great follow-up to a previous episode, number 27, Speak Appropriately. Here goes. So the, the whole first five or six months, we were among only shepherds in a very rural area where no one else except shepherds basically lived. So our only interactions were with young men, you know, age 16 to 30, most of them single. Not only was it not really grammatically correct in some ways to the way other people speak or people of other social strata speak, but also apparently, I don't think it was purposefully, but they were teaching us crude language. <laughs> and so after the summer is over, you know, we've been learning the language. And then we moved down with the shepherds to the actual villages where more people like the women are there, the young children are there, older people are there. So it's not just young men and the chiefs are there, the chiefs of the village, the villages. So we, we should have adapted our speech to be more polite. And so, <laughs> so some of the things we were saying, eventually some of the parents would come by the mothers especially would come and tell us you can't say that <laughs> you can't speak you can't talk to people that way and they would give us specific examples i mean one one example uh, to call someone a liar among the shepherds they would like everyone would just say you're a liar you're lying and i we didn't realize it was ac it's actually quite an insult especially if you say that to someone who's older or to be respected and so we came down and we were like, we were saying that to the chief of the village. Oh, you're a liar. <laughs> and he was, uh, he was so polite and he's a good natured man, which we were grateful for. But later on, one of the women, I think his daughter actually, or his daughter-in-law, she came to us and was like, you can't, <laughs> that's, that's disrespectful to be calling, especially the chief, but even older people, other people, liars. And it's actually quite an insult. But when you're with your own age mates, then it's fine within reason, I guess. But there's other examples, which you might not want to put on your podcast. Oh, I um, want to hear the other examples. <laughs> well, the, the equivalent to the uh, English crap we were saying like left and right. <laughs> and we, I don't even, I don't think we really knew at the time what it meant of, you know, like a, a funny insult among the shep like the shepherds are not refined people and they're they're one of the lower social stratas and so the way they talk we just didn't realize we didn't even think about the possibility that the things they were speaking saying would not be polite and so we were you know saying things are crap down in the village and all this is crap and <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't remember ever calling anyone crap but we were not being polite. If we would have gone to some other village where the chief wasn't as laid back, who knows what we could have insulted and finished our time quickly. <laughs> yeah. If you have a grammatical error, you know, or pronunciation error, people are more forgiving. But if you make a sociolinguistic error, like calling somebody, mm -hmm. you know, calling things crap, then those are the things that they're going to label you as this kind of a person. And that can be just devastating. So glad that despite all that uh, crap, Caleb's still in Lesotho. 
And I'm so grateful his internet connection in his paddle hut held up for the interview after all. I'm Mary Lynn Kinderberg, and thanks for listening to Language on Purpose. On our Instagram page, we've got for you the resources we mentioned, plus an actual photo of Caleb and a Masuthu friend, used with permission, of course. If you're working in a tone language, check out my interview with a leading tone expert. That's episode eight, Tone Death. You'll find us on your favorite podcast platform and on our webpage, Language on Purpose. I'd love it if you could take that quick, very short survey there so I can serve you better. And if you hit that subscribe or follow button, you won't miss an episode. And as Christopher Robin said to Pooh, you're braver than you believe, stronger than you think, and loved more than you know. See you next time.